Hey everyone, welcome into another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean here in Shawnee, Kansas, ready for another fun discussion of Chiefs football. We've got a lot to get to today, so let's not delay. We're going to go quickly to Sam, former Eagle Scout and former offensive tackle for the Ottawa Braves. Sam, how you doing, man? I'm good. Just never not an Eagle Scout, Sean. <laughs> Fair enough. That's my bad. I will make a note for the future. Jacob, of happiest man in Denver, Colorado. Probably the only happy man in Denver, Colorado right now. Jacob, how you doing, man? Doing good. You know, there are a few Chiefs fans here, just to update. You know, for a second there, I was confused on Sam's intro. I thought you meant, like, a scout for the Philadelphia Eagles and not <laughs> Eagle Scouts for the Boy Scouts. I was legit confused. It's like, Sean, if this is your attempt at humor, I, why the Eagles? Well, it wouldn't be the first time I've made a bomb of a joke, so it's, it's definitely a possibility that I could have tried to go that angle and completely ruined it. But uh, this time, no, just an Eagle Scout, but I still managed to botch it because always an Eagle Scout. Now, we've had a lot of predictions so far, well, three to be exact, before this past week, where the level of success was varying degrees when it came to the outcome of Chief football game. This week, it pretty much went exactly how we all thought. Chiefs mauled the Broncos 43-16. to Honestly, probably could have been worse if so much time hadn't come off the clock with both teams running the ball a lot. Um, we've talked a lot in the chat coming uh, when we were watching this game, after the game. One of the things we all kind of thought, and Sam, I think you were the one that actually put this exact verbiage on it, but this was as complete a game as we've probably seen from the Chiefs in terms of how much each unit contributed. All three groups score a touchdown. That's offense, defense, special teams. Don't remember the last time that happened for the Chiefs. I can't imagine it's been uh, been recently. But just before we dive into specifics, uh, let's go to you uh, first, Sam. What was your initial uh, impression of the game once it was all said and done? Yeah, so first I'd just like to say, once again, pretty much called this game almost to the numbers. <laughs> Results, it happened a little different than I thought it would, but basically got the score prediction almost correct this week again. Um, no, but it was, I mean, it was just a, a solid performance all around. Um, my biggest takeaway was, as I'm sure we'll get into, was it was a lot cleaner of a game for us um, than last week, only having the one penalty, which was kind of a an interesting iffy penalty, but but still only one penalty this week. Um but yeah, just just a complete game on all sides. Some some really strong standout performances and other performances that just kind of went by the wayside, but still still helped us win the game uh, very handily. And Jacob, uh, once you had a chance to see it all said and done, what did, what were your initial thoughts about the Chiefs' performance in this one? Fantastic! Not a single Broncos fan can look me in the eyes in Denver right now. It's perfect. <laughs> Zero eye contact is how I'm gauging how this game went. It was great. One thing to keep in mind, is there a quarterback controversy? Chad Henney came in and played pretty well. I mean, there's a new snow game guy. <laughs> efficiency, fantastic, off the charts. But, no, like I said, it's it really makes life in Denver as a, as a Chiefs fan pretty easy. Since I've moved here, and it, I might be the lucky term. I don't know. I kind of sounded trumpy there. I, I might be the lucky term. I don't know. I don't know. But, <laughs> They have not lost to the Broncos since I moved to Denver, and that has made my life very easy, and I will never not appreciate a beatdown of the Broncos. Yeah, this was about as as uh, expected of a game as I, I could have thought. It went, went pretty much exactly in terms of the result. 
kind of like you were saying, Sam, exactly how I thought. The, the route to victory, definitely a little bit different than what I thought. Wasn't expecting the, a run-dominant game. I definitely expected more of that from the Broncos, but definitely not for the Chiefs. Let's, let's just dive into their performance. Sam, you brought it up first, so uh, let's talk about it. The penalty game, the penalties for the Chiefs, historically an issue with Andy, Reef, Andy Reid-led teams, not typically a very talented teams, well-coached teams in terms of the execution of the playbook, but oftentimes, especially with his tenure with the Chiefs, they have been a penalty-riddled team. Came up roses in this one, only one penalty throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, no, it, it's always an interesting aspect when we look at penalties. And, and this year has been interesting because I feel, as I kind of alluded to in an earlier podcast, I think our first podcast, there's a lot of penalties that are being not being called that I think early, last year, the year before, would have been called just immediately. And then other times when um, a penalty that I can't see happening gets called maybe because it's a scoring play. Um, this week, I feel it, it was just a, an overall um, clean game, and that's hard to – the lack of holding penalties is a big thing for our offensive line for me, knowing that we have a, a kind of patchwork offensive line, the fact that they are not getting any kind of false starts or, or any holding calls on them, that's, that's a big plus for that offensive line because even if they're not playing well, making it so we're not having negative plays is always a, a big benefit. Um, and then I thought our, our thought our defense really was aided by the pass rush this week. I think the secondary didn't have as much to do as they have in previous games. And so I think that's why it may have been a little cleaner end on, or cleaner game on that back end. But overall, just I felt it was, it was a excellent showing as far as just clean play this week. Yeah, I'll, and I'll jump right off of Sam here and stick with the offense first and say – you know, they did not have good third down efficiency, but it didn't matter because when they needed to score and when they needed to move the ball, they could. The big negative for me was something that is very fixable. A lot like we talked about during the Raiders game about the offensive line. It didn't, it didn't seem so much like it was a talent slash execution thing. It was more of the scheme from the offensive line in breakdowns, mental breakdowns instead of physical breakdowns. That's probably a better way to put it. The There was only a singular time where I noticed where it was Andrew Wiley just got absolutely beat. And that was one of the – I think it ended up being a sack. If not a sack, a pressure enough that it ruined the play. But the other two or three times where Holmes had the guy on him was just a flat-out miss on a player. And then it was a zero, zero blitz, you know, and – the running back wasn't ready or Mahomes didn't get it out to the right person quick enough. One was hit. I think it was Le'Veon Bell in the back. And then another was Le'Veon Bell or he pumped to Le'Veon Bell and didn't trust that it was the way to go and then held it in. But again, I'm not upset. I'm saying that there's room for improvement, but the nice thing is that it's not a personnel thing, which is something you would be worried about. Like, Oh no, we need to go and get more people. Right. But to make this thought more concise, keep in mind the Chiefs are on their fourth and fifth string guards at this point from where we started this year, thinking of the sense of you would have had LDT, you would have had Ossimile, and you would have had uh, the guy from TCU they drafted. I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, he, uh, 
Niang? Oh, gosh. I'm trying yeah, to remember. Yeah, Niang. Not George Niang. That's the Iowa State guy. Lucas Niang. Lucas Niang. Whatever. Thank you. It's a Niang. I know that. You're right. But, yeah, so they're on their fifth and fourth and fifth string guards, which, again, physically, if those guys can hold up, great. So, my negative is a positive this week on the offense. Now, I, I do kind of want to bring something up because I, I agree with you, Jacob. There was definitely room for improvement the times that the offensive line didn't look good, just appeared to be a miscommunication, and they let Bradley Chubb, of all people, be the guy to come and smack Mahomes twice. Uh, but the positives that we saw, again, were similar to the positives that we saw from them last week, which was the run game. And uh, Sam, you kind of brought this up in our chat when we were kind of prepping for the show. The offensive line does, does appear to have specific strengths and it definitely has specific weaknesses. So it appeared in the run game, they cleared out a lot of room. The pass game, they seem to still have some communication errors. I do want to pose the question to you guys, how much of it do you think is the fact that they are on their fourth string, fifth string guards, and now have moved one of their, you know, one of those backup guards out to right tackle versus, uh, you know, a scheme thing versus talent uh, or just a communication mental lapse, not necessarily talent of the level of, level of their talent, I should say. What do you attribute the stark difference in positives in the run game versus negatives in the pass game um, to for the offensive line? Yeah, so I think my biggest thing is is something I think you see with a lot of coaches where even if they start to lose pieces, they continue to try to do what has worked in the past. And what I've seen with Andy Reid, and, and this is kind of what I what I was alluding to in in prep for the show was he's almost not abandoned what we did last year as far as just these massive big passing plays and sitting in the pocket for four or five seconds being able to pick out a pick out a target for Mahomes but he's transitioning a lot more to the run and specifically moving away from from a lot of the zone schemes that I think were pretty consistent um, that we saw were allowing the holes to develop themselves saw a lot of pulling players and a lot of down blocks just moving guys out of the path so you can get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who number one is just one of those guys that seemed, like we said last week, is just very slippery. If he can get past that first level, he seems to be able to gain a lot of yards. And then I'm sure, as we'll talk about, Le'Veon Bell is just that patient running back that knows how to find a hole regardless of what the situation is. So I think more than anything, it's it's not the, – the success in the run game, I think, has been more just the not trying to do what we're not designed to do. Um, I don't think this offensive line that we have currently is the let's pa- let's have Patrick Mahomes sit back there and just throw bombs all day. Um, I think it's more of a, a mauling offensive line where you got a bunch of really big dudes that just move bodies. And so I don't think uh, personnel-wise, obviously, they are not the cream of the crop offensive linemen, but I think Andy Reid has schemed them in to work re- very well for our system. That makes a lot of sense. I My biggest thing was – and it seemed like the times that they didn't have time to pass, they were more mental lapses than anything. You know, Eric Fisher twice just let Chubb go and, and didn't seem and seemed to think that he would have help. He's, he it was like he was had his hand out, like he was reaching for the next guy. Or and I don't know if he was looking for a running back chip or a tight end or what, but it wasn't there. So that that to me is encouraging when you're talking about passing offense, maybe having some errors. So for me. I, I tend to not weigh that as, as 
if, if we were to look at this as a scale, my negatives do not outweigh the positives. They tend to balance each other. Yeah, and, and real quick, just to piggyback off what you said about, about Fisher, the other aspect about having these backup players come in and play is, is the cohesiveness and the chemistry. I mean, as not a former offensive lineman, I know that the, the revolving pieces can make it very difficult because you do get used to a certain way another player plays. And maybe that's what we're seeing. I think there were a couple of those mental lapses. Like there was one where uh, one of the blitzing linebackers, Fisher, just let him go and no one touched him. It was they, they shifted to the complete wrong side of the field. But potentially where we're seeing a lot of these missed blocks or maybe miscommunications would almost look like it's just a matter of our offensive line coming together as a cohesive unit still. And that would make a lot of sense. I mean, even within the game a week ago from Sunday, you had Remmers playing multiple positions along the offensive line going from guard to tackle. So that would make a lot of sense when you're talking about shifting pieces, trying to get comfortable with everyone's style, especially when you're moving guys during the game. Hopefully the, the uh, cohesiveness starts to come together. That's something that we'll talk a lot about with other uh, groups along the team. But I do want to, you know, just quickly touch on the running game and specifically, you know, and with the running backs, how they relate to the offensive line. You kind of mentioned it, you know, how Le'Veon Bell and Clyde Edwards-Alaire looked. I, I want to start with Bell just because I think that's the story. And, and then we obviously talk about both their performances. But Le'Veon looked pretty fresh to me. Uh, he, he had a couple of plays where he looked very much like the old Le'Veon Bell where he just kind of hesitate, 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 and all of a sudden he's gone. He's exploding through the line. He's getting into the secondary, making one move and go. I was really impressed, uh, even within the limited time that he played, how Le'Veon Bell looked during the game. Uh, Jacob Sturdy, what were your thoughts about how Bell looked just to get things uh, for his first appearance with the Chiefs? Yeah, I, I'm right there with you, Sean. You know, you kind of forget when these guys are out for a year. We'll call it almost two years for Le'Veon Bell. It's feel like It feels like he was out. That it was the first handoff he took where he went left side and he did his Le'Veon Bell. He just sat there patiently as the D or the I think it was a it was either the safety or the corner ran in and he just paused for a second, let his guy get there and then cut it up inside of him. It was beautiful. You're just like, oh, that's nice. And him with Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be crazy. So just talking run game in general. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, of course, had that run into the end zone where I went back multiple times to count him officially. If you're a Chiefs homer, he broke five or six tackles. If you're a Broncos fan, he only broke four tackles on that play. But seeing those two together could be really fun. And one thing that I'm, again, excited to see, like I said, was a negative, not necessarily a negative, but something I did notice was Le'Veon Bell, you know, is still learning the offense, you can tell. One time it was thrown behind him. One time he didn't get it thrown to him because I don't think Mahomes thought he was ready for the ball. So it'll be interesting, too, to see him get ingrained with the passing game. But, yeah, I'm with you. I was I was like, uh, that looks a little bit better than what Shady McCoy had left. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I was impressed. I mean, and it's kind of, again, to pat the offensive line on the back, player talking about he's running behind Allegretti and Kilgore, two of the guys who – we hadn't seen until last week and those two absolutely clear the path. And he was patient enough to allow Allegretti to get to this, blow his man off the ball, opens up a big hole and then follows him right alongside and gets into the secondary for the first down. I am interested to see how a line that is developing together and learning how to play together will learn and develop with a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who is also 
just in his first stint with this playbook and this team, he, he almost knows no one outside of who he might have interacted with the offseason. I know he's probably friendly with Chris Jones. Chris Jones isn't blocking for him. So I'm interested to see how those relationships develop because I think if, if Kilgore is, you know, a legitimate starting center going forward and if Allegretti can be, you know, at least the linchpin until they draft a, a, you know, a starting guard, hopefully he is the guy, but who knows. But if those guys can build together, I am curious if Le'Veon Bell has anything left in the tank what he could look like going forward. Yeah, no, I, I was impressed. Uh, listening to, again, a lot of sports talk radio and, and how they've talked about um, Le'Veon Bell, I think, I think he's almost, while with the Jets, he's gotten somewhat of a bad rap because everything I've, I've understood is that he actually had a really good demeanor and behavior while with the Jets. They just didn't – I mean, Adam Gase just didn't want him uh, for whatever reason. And I think – what, what I saw was not only a player that still has, as Jacob said, has a lot more to bring than, than Shady had coming in a couple of years ago, um, but as a play, he seemed refreshed to the point where, I mean, he, he I, I, it's, again, it's hard to, with such a limited number of snaps he played, but it seems like, I mean, it could be fun for him again to play football, which sounds ridiculous because he's making, even at a minimum salary, making way more than I'll ever make in my life and, and should be enjoying it. But I mean, I can see where we're not being appreciated within that system could, could really just drag you down. Now, what I'm really interested to see is, is regarding the offensive line play, what I did really notice was a, a drastically different blocking style when, the other, when each running back was in the, in the game. When Clyde Edwards Hilaire is playing, you, you do see, like I said, a lot more down blocks and a lot of pulling guards, um, trying to basically move guys to make a hole where when I saw Le'Veon Bell in there, it was zone still. It was, it was let's just move guys until their hole pops open. And why I think that's so significant is what I'm looking forward to with Le'Veon Bell is potentially maybe teaching Hilaire how to be patient. Because I think that's maybe one of the reasons you're not seeing a lot of zone is, is he is a rookie. And maybe having a veteran running back who is known for his patience and known, known how to be able to pick out holes very well if that could be incorporated into Clyde Edward, Edward Hilaire's game as well, then you're looking at, at something serious. And I think that could be a cool cool thing to see if that does occur. So, I hadn't even thought of that. I, I, I did not notice the difference in the scheme. But I'm glad you pointed it out because I hadn't even thought of when – I, when I thought of Le'Veon Bell coming on and, and teaching Clyde, it was more, you know, what to do as, as a pass catcher. That was always – that was my initial thought was, well, he's, he's great out of the backfield. That's, you know, something Clyde has done and done well, but I wonder, you know, that was kind of my first impression. I which, mean, which, by the way, which by the way, Sean, the drop in the end zone by Clyde. Clyde oh, yeah. I fell to the ground. I was like, Oh, that would have been hurt. That, that one would have been just like, this is a complete blowout. Right. You know, that one, that one killed me because it was just so perfectly thrown. And, it's, and that's a good example of kind of what I'm talking about, where it's like that's where I thought Le'Veon would be maybe the biggest impact. But I it's I don't know why I didn't think of it as a really good point, Sam, about learning how to be patient. Because I, I, I've never played the game, but I've, I imagine that it's an exceedingly heightened level of what it feels like to go from JV to varsity. It's everything feels super fast, and you just want to go fast all the time, all the time. And then all of a sudden it's – Wait, take a deep breath, slow down. I remember having coaches tell me, you just need to take a deep breath and slow down. I mean, that's the best I can equate it to where 
it's at times a million going from college to the NFL. But that's a really interesting point. That'll be interesting to see how he does. And I do want to touch on Clyde's performance as well. Overall, both of them played just a, a tremendous game. The yards per carry between the two, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire was 5.8 per carry. Le'Veon was 6.5. And I'm focusing on that just because between the two of them, they only had 14 touches or 14 carries in the whole game. Um, it's kind of weird to talk about like when you have a dominant run game between the two of them, they have 14 carries. You know, even just a week ago, Clyde's well over 20. So I am, I am curious to get your guys' thoughts. Given the, the seemingly the strengths of the offensive line currently, do you anticipate seeing more emphasis on the run game going forward as maybe the, the way they start most games off in the offense, the focal point of the offense for a while? Yeah, I'll start on this one because I do have some thoughts on that. I think the Chiefs right now are taking what they're given. So I think to answer your question, Sean, is they're not going to choose to do one thing over the other. They're going to react, I think, is what you're going to see. Of You know, we saw a trend since the – around the Raiders game of – and I believe the Patriots was the week before, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Since the Patriots. Let's go just since the Patriots of – all right, here's how you beat Mahomes. Well, you know what? Even before that, the Chargers drop everybody back, rush forward, get on Mahomes. Right now, we're, the Chiefs are responding to that saying, okay, cool, do it. And even after, man, I'm blanking. One of the games, Mahomes even said something along the lines of, yeah, we were just taking the run, and whenever we do, do have the deep ball, we're going to take it. Almost daring teams to, you know, keep – stacking the stack the box against the run so I think like I said to answer your question I'm not answering your question by saying they're not going to make an emphasis they're going to wait and see what happens yeah that's that was actually pretty close to to my exact point that I was going to make Jacob um still peeking over his homework Jacob yeah no the one thing I will say is honestly until I looked back at the stats, I didn't realize they didn't run as much as I, I thought they had run a lot more. Agreed. Um, and I think it was the oddity that was the game itself in that most of our points came from defense and secondary or defense and special teams that I just, I just assumed that there were going to be a lot more numbers on our offensive side, which when you look at it, our offense didn't put up a lot of numbers this week. And I don't think they needed to. And that's exactly what Jacob was saying is that, they took what was given to them. Um, we beat them on the two other phases of the game, and the offense just contributed a little bit here and there. Now, what I will say about my p- prediction as far as the running game moving forward is, again, I, I am seeing – I don't think we're going to be able to protect Pat at this point as far as giving him the time to develop the long plays. Um, so I don't – I think the running game will be more um, integral this year than it was last year. But I think Jacob nailed it on the head, which is just we're we're giving we're taking what is given to us, and if they want to try to take Kelsey and, and Tyree Kill out of the equation, now we have two pretty solid running backs that are going to hurt them in that sense as well. So, and Sam, I think you hit it on the head with talking about protection. I think even the Chiefs know one play that like started to come to my memory as you were saying that was one of the McCole Hardman plays. I didn't get the chance to go back and look at the complete play, but from watching the highlights two or three times, it almost looked as if only three guys ran a route 
they had whoever was lined up on the right come inside and, you know, chip block the inside guy so that Mahomes could roll right and have a longer time. So even the Chiefs are conscious of what you just said of they can't protect Mahomes the same way. And so they're doing it in weird ways. Again, I think there's only three guys on the route because I think I remember seeing at least seven, probably eight blocking on the play. I think I remember that player you're talking about. I think it was Le'Veon uh, on that play because I remember him. I do remember him chipping on that side, if I'm if my memory is correct. Yeah, somebody um, came back and hit him. But. Yeah, it was, and it ended up being a big play. And that's this is a weird game in general for that Sam. Uh, because I, I, if you'd have told me like who the Star Wars were, I would have, I would have named, you know, Clyde. I would have named Le'Veon, and then I would have named McCole Hardman. I would have, I would have put him out on, on, on a pedestal as like, man, yeah, he played really, really well. But and he had two catches the whole game. Granted, one was a really nice, spectacular catch, the one-handed grab down the sideline where he got both feet in. But the impact that he had was in two catches. So it is an interesting thought, that like to go along with how quickly they can strike it's they don't really need that many people to make that many plays just because they do have so many weapons. It's not just Tyreek and Travis anymore getting all the bulk. They have literally spread this to so many players that the impact is very great, even in small, uh, small amounts. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, McCall Hartman, I've, I've been up on down, up and down on him, uh, since we brought him in, uh, since drafted him obviously. And, and, I think he is – again, he's not – would he start on another team is always the question. When I look at players that are playing on the Chiefs, um, you have a number of us that obviously, yes, they would be number one targets on, on other teams. Hardman is – I think he'd be a number three option on almost any team. I don't think he – to me, he's never shown to be uh, any kind of a, an elite elite wide receiver, let alone just a, a, a solid one. But he is that – he's that super fast player that, that can hurt you if you forget about him. And that's, again, giving – right back to Jacob's point, giving – taking what is given to us. If you're going to leave a guy or, or – and I can't even say he was left open because that one-handed grab was pretty <laughs> incredible. Um, but if you're going to forget about him or put a less talented player on him, um, we're going to use him. And so uh, I think it was just uh, – he was kind of the – again, I, I, you're correct. I didn't realize he only had two receptions because he seemed bigger than that. But he, he seemed to have a big impact on the game, and, and I think it shows that when the Chiefs offense is running effectively, any player can be, be a weapon for us. Yeah. Well, I, I want to bounce off what you're saying, Sam, of, you know, when you watch Hardman, it's, it, you get a little frustrated because – you're a spoiled Chiefs fan, and you, you're just used to every guy that we draft is a superstar and is the greatest in everything. Right. But that's, that's just not the truth. You know, guys have to develop. I brought this up a couple of weeks ago. When Tyree Kill came to the Chiefs, he was basically Nicole Hardman light. He yeah. was a lot of the similar routes. You know, we're seeing a lot with from Nicole Hardman is just he'll run a fly or something down the field, a post, something where he's using his speed – or he'll run across the field. But one other thing to me, and this is, you know, again, we're not, we don't have any inside information. It worries me the guys that are rookies on any team that has instant success of, you know, how hard do they work? Right. And that's Hardman. I have no idea. I know nothing about McCall Hardman, but that could be a factor into 
his development. And again, he's buried on the depth chart. So, right. and one other thing I think that kind of changes our view on this, and this is one thing I will never live down for Sam, is they took him before DK Metcalf. So oh. he get the comparisons to DK Metcalf. And a lot of people's comparisons with Metcalf where he's not a complete receiver and he doesn't run routes. Well, right now, Hardman doesn't run routes. And DK Metcalf is at least, you know, your Derrick Henry echelon of athlete where it's just like, it doesn't matter if you don't do all the football things right. You're just so big. But, yeah, that's my thoughts on Hardman. I forgot you brought it up. Now I'm sad. I forgot that he went first before Metcalf. Man, can you fathom that in a Chiefs offense? But I do to your point though, like that is something that I, I I'm gonna I'm, was gonna say this exact this thing later, but I'll I'll just tease it now. But like when you let role players be role players, the impact they can have seems very great when you don't put too much on them. That's something I think Andy Reid does really, really well. He doesn't try to make you do too much. Now, whether or not that can be frustrating when you're talking about like a polarizing figure like Alex Smith was where he did everything right as far as he was a great guy in the community, handled the press conference well, played, played football well enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, but was, was never going to be the guy to take it over the, over the top because Andy Reid's not going to ask you to, to do something you're not capable of. He's going to try and make sure that you, you operate within the current strengths that you have, which Nicole Hardman, to your point, Jacob, which – and so you're something that Sam, you've mentioned several times, he is very much like Tyreek Hill was early on, where you're just going to run fast and we're going to have you run routes that allow you to run fast. And that's enough sometimes when you have guys like Le'Veon Bell, like Clyde Edwards, like Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. You know, Tyreek Hill's still not, he's not Chad Johnson at route running right now, but I, I will give him credit that he has improved enough that you know, he can do a, you know, just a basic, you know, curl route, hard dig, come back to the ball. And that's enough with his speed that he looks a lot better on his routes because they have to account for that elite speed down the field. If McCole Harmon can just be that to a lesser extent, you know, that's great. And, and they're not going to ask him to do more than that. So I do think that, I do think that's something that had came up a lot in this game was, role players being able to just be role players. And then we thought their impact was much greater. Now, again, it wasn't all roses, mostly roses, but it wasn't all roses. Uh, one of the points that you brought up, Sam, we were talking about, you know, kind of what do we want to discuss about this, this game was third down efficiency. Uh, it didn't exist. It didn't happen once. No third down conversions for the Chiefs in this game. Uh, and multiple times, we, we mentioned this earlier, but multiple times that there was a stop on third down, it was the, an offensive line communication breakdown. Twice it was Bradley Chubb on just a direct route to Patrick Mahomes and lighting him up on a sack. It wasn't a huge deal just because of the amount of yardage they were chewing up on the ground, the ability to move the ball before ever getting to third down. It didn't end up being a big deal in the grand scheme of the game, but that is a concerning thing for such a, a potent offense to see an 0 for 8 on third down uh, Sam, start with you. What was just your take on what you saw that created that that big goose egg next to your third down conversions? Yeah, the only thing I can say is that it just the offensive line on that on those type of plays where I think a lot of the third downs we were in were third and long. 
and that's requiring again that that sit back and pass um which we're just not showing the capabilities of doing currently um it's a hard one because again it just didn't matter this week um but it's obviously a, a big point of that needs to be corrected when we go up and play a better team um i think the funniest just side note of this is is the funniest line i heard on sports radio was saying that if you were to be told that drew lock outdueled patrick mahomes that the chiefs did not convert a single third down you would immediately think this was a very different game <laughs> but it just this week this week the other the other sides of the ball picked it up um so i think more than anything it's it's figuring out what we need to do within the offensive line scheme to ensure that we can pick those plays up i mean there were a couple third downs that i think should have been converted um, a couple drop passes um, that just were kind of inexcusable. But other than that, I, for me, it was just the offensive line play more than anything. Yeah. I, well, I'm glad to hear you say that because my initial thoughts when I saw the the third down conversion rate was, Oh my God, do we have a huge problem now? I mean, is, is the offensive line a bigger issue than I gave it credit for initially? Sorry, I'm trying to find a stat that I saw, and it showed like the two quarterbacks with the highest rating on third down. This is another reason it was just so bizarre to me. But the two quarterbacks with the highest passer rating on third down this year are Patrick Mahomes and Hubert in um, LA. Almost said San Diego again. But always the San Diego Chargers. They will always be the San Diego Chargers, that's for sure. But that is something that I, I it concerned me a lot initially, just because it seemed like a Several, a few of the times, I mean, not several, it might be too strong, but a few of the times at least it was just clean shots to Patrick. So on the one hand, it's like, man, like, what are we doing? It's third down. It's like when you're supposed to be most primed and, and alert and, you know, trying to make sure your play, your drive extends. But also in the back of my head, it's like, well, this unit hasn't really played together. It's a lot of backups. They'll get better as they continue to play together. But it, it was still a disconcerting thing uh, going forward. But who knows? Maybe they'll you know, play Marty ball times a thousand and just run it down team's throats and they'll never see a third down again. Who knows? It could be a thing, but I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that you're not as concerned um, maybe as I am with, with that and that it's maybe just a situational thing going forward. Let's go ahead and continue on with more positive stuff and moving over to the other side of the ball. This, the defense, especially well throughout the game, but Early on in the first two minutes, I thought it was as complete of game or a series that the defense had played, meaning that I thought the front got pressure, the linebackers filled well, and the secondary did what they had to do when the passes did come. The first run play of the game, uh, the defensive line comes up, blows up, forces uh, uh, Lindsey to come outside. The cornerback fills hard down, makes sure the wide receiver can't push him back, doesn't give him a lane. And Willie Gay Jr. comes out, comes fills the gap and smacks the running back hard, second down and ten. That it was the best I'd ever seen a, a linebacker fill. It was one of the only times I saw a linebacker fill in this game. But then the second time, second play, swing pass outside. Damian Wilson makes a nice open field tackle. And it's third down, and then they don't convert. So defensively, I do want to get you get your guys' initial impressions before we get to more of the specifics. Um, Jacob, we'll start with you. What were your thoughts about? Uh, the defensive performance by the Chiefs. Yeah, I thought you kept a team that wasn't playing well offensively down, and that's what you want from a defense, right? You don't want to be the team where they get the spark going. 
one guy I wanted to, well, actually two guys really I wanted to quickly shout out. Tyron Matthew is got to be one of the best free agent pickups the Chiefs have ever made. I want to remind people that free agent pickups are done usually when you're desperate and you end up overpaying a guy. I can't say that Tyron Matthew is overpaid. And I don't hear a lot of people bring his name up, I think, just because it's expected every single week that he's great. Now, our Chiefs chat on Protect <laughs> is highly critical of Tyron Matthew. When I say the whole chat, I mean just one person. Shout out, Matt. But I think he needs to be brought up. On top of that, <laughs> one thing that's hilarious to me about that Tyron Matthew double fumble recovery was watching him dodge 8 million people on that play reminded me of Eric Berry. Sometimes mm. those defensive guys, when they get the chance to get the ball, it's just hilarious because you can tell they're like, I am not going down. I am scoring this touchdown. I mean, Tyron Matthew legitimately dodged probably six guys on that play. He only gained about five to ten yards, but he broke six tackles. Four uh, if you're a Denver fan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. More. <laughs> but – the other guy I want to shout out is Brett Veach because this is another side of the ball where a lot of guys have gone down slash been suspended, and there just seems to be dude after dude that steps up. And I think you shout out Brett Veach first, and then you shout out Spagnola because those two are cl- clearly working well together on what they're looking for. Of There is a clear defensive end type that they pick up, just long athletic freak, and they just seem to have four or five of them. And the inside, it's like, I want somebody that can move pretty well. I don't want him to just be a complete run-stuffing guy. I'll use him situationally. But like I said, I was all around just impressed with the the whole, just the depth of the defense. Mm. But then unshout out to Brett Veach. Yeah, the linebackers have been a problem for a couple years now. And that problem just seems to not be getting solved yet. And I know we have Willie Gay coming up, so I'm not going to share my thoughts on him just yet. Yeah, defensive side of the ball, I thought, played well to the point where you were playing against a bad team. Um, I think it's these past couple weeks have been hard to judge the defense because, I mean, you've been going against Drew Locke. (laughs) And, like, just the the garbage of the NFL, it seems like, at times – um, but again, you kept, a, as Jacob said, you kept a bad team down. You, you didn't let them do what they want to do. Now I will say not trying to skew the skew to negative. You did give up quite a bit of rushing yards. It was over a, about 150 yards rushing between Lindsay, Lindsay and Gordon before, uh, Swanson decided that Lindsay needed to get out of the game for a little while. Uh, <laughs> but I, I actually, my one positive I will say is though, I don't think again, it's kind of been what I've gone back to though our linebackers are not all stars I was actually relatively impressed with their play for the most part um especially uh Wilson um Mm -hmm. what I saw with him is he was at every single tackle that impressed me a lot where he was just always around the ball regardless of what the situation was he seemed to be really covering a lot of ground on a lot of plays um And I think that with our linebackers, they're kind of put in almost an awkward predicament uh, because of the defensive scheme we're running and that you're really a lot of times only running true to two true linebackers. Mm. And so a lot, I saw a lot of guys getting blocked one-on-one, which was the big problem for me with our linebackers is that they weren't 
breaking off of single single block ta- or uh, single guy t- blocking. Uh, but I, overall, I actually was impressed with their their play. Uh, secondary, I don't think had too much of a test this week. I thought our our defensive line just kind of decided that this was going to be a week that they showed out and let everybody know that they're they're pretty solid. Um, and again, Chris Jones, there's just plays where he decides he's not going to be blocked, and he just decides that all right, it's it's time to, for me to get off the field. But overall, it was a solid performance against a bad team. Um, definitely, definitely some areas for improvement, but. I took the the linebacker situation actually. I think maybe a little better than than you guys might have. I want to cut some off real quick because he mentioned some points that I want to respond to. First one is, yeah, they gave up a lot of rushing yards, but the Broncos scored 16 points, and seven of those were because of a fumble deep in their territory. So I don't think the run yards against a team like the Broncos is an issue. Now, if you're doing that to a team that has a quarterback, then things start to look bad. But I think they gave us so many rush yards because it was the only thing that worked for the Broncos. And then right with you, and I forgot to mention Drew Locke because, again, love to watch the Broncos weekly and break down any quarterback play. Yeah, he was awful. The Chiefs' D-line just kept him uncomfortable all day. And then I had a lot of the similar thoughts on Wilson, too, of hopefully Willie Gay can get up to speed. And then I could see him and Wilson actually making a pretty solid pair. Hitchens still, he seems a second, a half second slow to react to everything. And then he doesn't have the athleticism that a Wilson or a Willie Gay has where he could make up for it, unfortunately. Yeah. And unfortunately, he makes more than both of those guys combined two times over. So it's hard to get out. I was actually looking it up because I, I agree. I was, I was curious, like, does Hitchens, when's the earliest you could get out of the Hitchens contract? And it looks like the earliest you could potentially do it is next year. Looks like you'd have to eat. Uh, about you'd save about two million in cap if you're able to cut him. Uh, if you were to cut him next year, but this year you didn't save any money, so he's here. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Sean, but they just restructured his deal. This was it this off this yeah. last offseason or the previous? Yeah. They restructured it a little bit. Um, where I, again, I'm still kind of I'm not 100 percent on this, but it looks like they moved around like one million, a little more, almost. 1.5 million. Let's just round it up or 1.4 and change. Um, but I agree. I do. Damian Wilson was probably, was my standout on, on the linebackers. It, it's hard for, and again, I think it might just be a bias where I'm looking for it in the run game specifically to your point, Sam, where a team, this has always been the chiefs defensive issues, whether they were in times where they were God awful under Bob Sutton or now where they're a respectable defense that, can get you the Super Bowl if you've got the Chiefs offense where they can make some really big plays and have some big playmakers, guys that can contribute. Run defense still has always – has still been the issue. It will, has always been the issue. Um, and so my initial reaction has typically been what's going on with the linebackers just because I'm, I'm used to players like Derek Johnson who, even when things weren't great, was still able to make plays in the run game. Now, Damian Wilson looks really good. Uh, Willie Gay Jr., I, like I said, he had one great play early on and then was pretty much a, uh, a pass coverage linebacker the rest of the game, which is fine. You need those. Hopefully he can be you know, a complete linebacker, but his overall play, um, I did want to just kind of focus on him since he was, he's a guy that we've all talked about at different points throughout the podcast. Uh, on different episodes as someone were wanting to see, can he play? When's he going to get on the field? 
this is probably the most I'd seen him play in key moments. Well, what, Sam, what were your thoughts on Willie Gay's performance in this one? Yeah, so I honestly, I hadn't spent a lot of time watching him the first couple of games. Uh, you guys talked a lot about him, and so I actually I paid quite a bit of attention to him this week. The first thing I'm going to say is that guy is an athletic freak. Um, he had a couple pass breakups this week that were just, I mean, he just got off the ground and it didn't seem like he should make the play he did. Um, so I will say as far as in a, in a coverage standpoint, I thought he played well. Um, it's the, the run stopping aspect that I think his game is, is a long way off. And the biggest problem I saw, he was one of the name ones that I saw being blocked by one guy. Um, not being able to get off a block. And he also seems to, I think may, it may be kind of a, a rookie deal or, or a young player deal where he, he picks and chooses holes. Um, he wants to, to rush a hole quick and try to make that play where the running backs, if they're patient, which Melvin Gordon, Gordon and Philip Lindsay are, they just said, okay, you go there, I go over here. And so I think his, his, his potential, what I saw, is, is excellent because of his athletic ability. Um, and maybe some of the run-stopping stuff will come with a little age and experience as far as how to read blocks appropriately and, and how to flow with the game. But, but as far as his run-stopping, I was not super impressed. Uh, my, my side of it went to his, uh, some of those big plays he made through his athleticism. Oh, that's kind of – I would agree with that. The one that he, he did make a big play on, he did, did exactly what you're talking about. He, he found a hole, he picked it, he just went, and he came across the field – to make a tackle. It was definitely an athletic play versus, you know, a smart play of this is my assignment. I'm going to hold this guy here. I'm going to shed this, get off this block and make a play or at least hold him up so that my guys can come and swarm the ball carrier. So I, I was wildly impressed with his pass coverage. Um, Again, it's, it's with a rookie, you just never know kind of what you're going to get, but his ability to fill in the zones, the, the, I remember the play specifically that you were talking about, Sam, he's, He's moving, running back, head over his shoulder, and then he has to turn and jump up and get his hand in the air, and he's able to tip the ball away. And it was just like, that's not a linebacker play. That's definitely not a linebacker play. But to see him make that made me excited about the um, the linebackers going forward in the future. Jacob, did you have any – what were your thoughts about how Willie Gay played in this one? Yeah, I didn't have the time to go back and watch the run snaps like Sam was kind of talking about. Again, Sam often gets a different experience than us, so I'll get to listen and then I'll go watch. But right with you guys, there was the one play that stood out where you're like, oh, hey, Tyron Matthew or some safety ran down and, you know, high-pointed a ball out of bounds. And you're like, oh, no, 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 that was a rookie linebacker. But, you know, to toot my own horn, I was praising his coverage ability in the offseason – and I think that's way more important than the run, especially when you're talking about a team with the Chiefs. A team that's going to try to run the ball against the Chiefs isn't going to work out that well. You want to have a scheme where you can defend the pass because that's what's going to matter in the playoffs. The teams are trying to shoot it out with the Chiefs. So I can't really speak fully to, you know, looking into Willie Gay's whole game performance. But I can say if he's going to be bad at one of the two things, I'd rather he be learning about the run versus the pass. And we, we know he is learning again, no off season. The guy came from Mississippi state, which at this point isn't really known for developing <laughs> sound players is how I'll say it. They're good at getting talent there though, clearly because the chiefs are taking a couple guys out of there between Chris Jones, Willie Gay. And then they also, got their undrafted uh, free agent center from there as well. But 
If Willie Gay wants to become the Chris Jones of linebackers, I'll take it. Right, exactly. Run with that. And another thing I saw, but we haven't seen yet from him, is he has some ball skills. He can catch. I mean, I know we got used to Derek Johnson being in the right place. And then I'll say no more because if you're a longtime Chiefs fan, you know what happened next on it. But he would have the he would have a career record for interceptions by a linebacker if he had caught two thirds of the ones that came to him. <laughs> exactly, but yeah, I more am of the point of it's more important that they found the guy that can cover the pass versus a guy that can fill in on the run because it's not going to matter as much. Yeah, and to your point, I think having a a fast athletic coverage linebacker does allow you to play your safeties back. They don't have to be the ones that play up. Um, They don't have to necessarily be the ones that uh, have to cover a tight end man-to-man, although I I think that's probably preferred. But there were times where he was on Fant or the other tight end whose name is way too long for me to pronounce, and I'm not even going to try. But he he does allow – Albert L. That's what they call him at the zoo. I like that. I'm over with that. It's way better. But I do, I do like the flexibility that he offers in pass defense for the Chiefs, which is something that obviously the Chiefs have put a premium on is flexibility in general. So finally having a linebacker who can play sideline to sideline, play coverage both man and zone, I think does allow a lot of flexibility in terms of your coverage schemes, especially right now I think is important when you're talking about a team that's down a cornerback with LeJarrius Sneed still being out. And, you know, we're still allowing Breland – uh, Sean Breland to get back into game shape after being out for four games. So it's going to take some – I think it's a big deal to have a guy who can maybe step into the linebacker role that might have been previously filled by a guy like Dan Sorensen. And speaking of Dan Sorensen, while we're on the topic, talking about letting a role player be a role player and then making an impact, that man played like Eric Berry, Earl Thomas – and, and any other angry player that's ever played. He had a little, like, LT in him in this game. He was just ready to hurt people. His play, you know, give credit to the defensive line in this one. I do want to, like, give them credit. His pick, I think, was a direct result of Chris Jones eating up the middle of the offensive line and making Drew Locke throw that ball faster than he wanted. But he did recognize that route incredibly quickly and was moving on the ball before Drew Locke ever threw it. And – he takes it back to the house, gets a pick six. He did, he did lay out several hits to, you know, to, that were just impressive hits in general, but also to stop first downs. Uh, the hit he laid on Philip Lindsay, you, know, you never want to see a guy get hurt, but you do like seeing guys play with a certain ferocity and an attitude on defense. So, wow, I, well, I'm a, I actually do like Philip Lindsay a lot. He's helped a few fantasy teams of mine in the past, but, and I don't want to see him get hurt. It was cool to see a guy who has typically been relegated to maybe not the new Ron Parker, but definitely one of those guys that people like to take shots at throughout the game going, why is he in? I was, I've definitely been that guy. I was all for trading Dan Sorensen in the off seasons, uh, off seasons past, but he looks tremendous. I just want to get your guys thoughts on, on how he played in this game. Yeah. I'm going to give Sam a moment to breathe. Cause anytime you bring up Ron Parker, he gets a- <laughs> My name should never be mentioned on this podcast again, and no one. Again, this is why I'm cutting Sam off because you know it just really gets <laughs> going. But I'm right there with you, Sean. You're not a Chiefs fan over the last ten years. I mean, I know Dirty Dan hasn't been here that long. It feels like he has, but 
he's been cut every single off season by me. And, you know, when I'm going on spot track and, you know, playing NFL GM, like anybody who grew right. up in the Matt era does. And then he makes such big plays. I think I said during our chat during the game was just, he's not somebody that's highly talented, but he has a knack for making big plays. And I think that's why people want to cut him because they see him get beat on plays or just get abused by Darren Waller. And then the <laughs> next game you're like, wow, that guy just made three big plays. And I think we took the biggest turn in the playoffs of people stopping talking bad on Dirty Dan since he saved the Chiefs run to the Super Bowl. That's of that Texans game of having the, the tackle on the punt and then the also uh, 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 missing one, what was it? What else was he that he did? Well, the tackle on the punt, then he forced the fumble on the kickoff. That's what it was. That's right. Yeah. So two huge plays. But I think that's where we stopped hearing everybody cutting Dirty Dan. But like you've said, Sean, and you cover it, covered it of, you know, it'll be nice to see hopefully Willie Gay can fill in and push Dan Sorensen back into his safety slash nickel role versus, hey, I'm an undersized linebacker. So we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully his role gets lessened and he can just be the big play guy that he's been from time to time instead of somebody they rely on. Sam, I hope I didn't give you a heart attack, but uh, <laughs> hopefully you recovered, give you a chance to talk about Dan. Right. I think it's unfair to Dan Schwartzen to, to compare him to he who shall not ever be named again. <laughs> uh, no, he Swanson's such an odd player to me. Um, I was honestly trying to make an NFL comp, like a historic player comp to him. And it's hard, like the only – and I hate the fact because he's also white, but um, – <laughs> The only player that uh, came Horn. to mind was John Lynch. Okay. Oh, like, yeah. Like, and it's just it, – they're, they're guys that – like, I think John Lynch was obviously a far better player than, than Winchester can hear than uh, um, Swartz and Kinnear. You know what, Sam? It's Broncos week. Let's just keep calling him John Lynch. Let's just yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> um, But, no, I he's – he is a, a – the. I mean, he is an excellent role player, as you alluded to. I don't ever want to think that he is a permanent fixture as far as this is the guy that solves all our problems, but he just, he, he does have that knack for making those plays. Um, and you got to give the guy credit for that. He's just, he seems to be kind of the, where I think the Tyron Matthews and the Frank Clarks the, are the, obviously the spark and the driving force of the defense. Swanson seems to be that kind of just solid heart that just, if you need a play happen, he kind of shows up. So I can't, I can't talk bad on the guy after the game he just had. I can mm-hmm. and what he's done for us. But he, I, I hope he's never the the all or the the set piece of our defense. He's just that that nice extra piece that kind of adds into things for us. Yeah, let a role player be a role player and see what happens. Some Andy Reid, and obviously uh, he's done very well in his time as a Chiefs head coach. Um, Spagnuolo seems to have followed suit with that. They just let – they don't ask them to do too much, and then they let them make plays when they're there to be made. I was so impressed. It was it was really exciting. It's always kind of fun um, to see guys who aren't necessarily stars have star games every now and again. I do want to uh, give a just a real quick shout-out here to the front uh, front four. They played a great game. Um, it, it was very surprising to me, the stat that was given in the game by Kevin Harlan. It was the – when Chris Jones finally got a sack in the game, the first sack that he had, it was the first, it was about nine and a half minutes 
into the second quarter, it was the first sack that they'd had in the last nine quarters, which is crazy with how much pressure it seems that the front line's been able to generate. But they did play a really good game, and I think probably contributed a lot to what we've been talking about with guys like Willie Gay and Dan Sorensen and everybody else having a great game. I thought the front looked really, really good. I did want to just give them a, a quick shout-out before, uh, before moving on or anything like that. Yeah, the, and I think you misspoke by saying front four because it's more like a front eight. Uh, and that's the, I think that's that was a big point for me for our defense to kind of wrap up, If unless you guys have other points with defenses. I really like the the rotation of the defensive line because I think it keeps guys really fresh. The only player you ever see – I don't see come off the field often at all is Frank Clark. Um, but it seems like especially our defensive tackles are rotated very regularly, and I just think it allows for a, a really fresh defensive line that can just continually put pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, I can't put it more succinctly than that. So just uh, before we move on to next week and looking ahead to their dynamite matchup with uh, New York Jets, um, I did want to quickly touch on just because, you know, for all anybody who's a K-State listener to this podcast, I want to touch on special teams, especially when we have former Ottawa High special team star Jacob Allen on the podcast. But special teams look great. Uh, I will say they, they to me – as far as all around, I didn't see really too many issues. And, and just as terms of like the ceiling play, special teams look great. Townsend's punt downed inside the one. I thought it was the best punt he's made in his young career for the Chiefs. That was insane. The placement reminded me of Colquitt. I think it was going to roll out of bounds at the one, even if it hadn't been picked up. And then uh, for the K-State listeners, and you know Byron Pringle, his, I do, let's start there with him. The thing I liked most out of him was – Unlike, I think, the things that frustrate us with McCole Hardman and Tyreek Hill when they have returned kicks where they try to angle and angle away because they think their speed will, will make up for it because they're used to allowing it to make up for it, Pringle was, I'm going to run a straight line, make one cut when I see an overplay by the kicking unit, and I'm gone. And that was it. He was a forward downhill runner, made one cut, knew that was enough, and took it to the house. Um, just real quick before we move on, uh, Jacob, start with you. What was your thought about Pringle and just special teams unit in general? Yeah, he, uh, I mean, he's no Eddie Drummond kick return specialist. <laughs> Again, this is a chief's check of your fanhood if you, whether or not you recognize Eddie Drummond. So if you don't, go ahead and turn in your chief's uh, fan gear. <laughs> but he's no Eddie Drummond, but he, he, I'm not surprised, you know, obviously being from K State and being there and seeing, watching games while he was there. I think I saw that he averaged 27.6 yards per return when he was at K-State. So pretty solid, but you nailed it on the head. You know, he, he, and you saw it at K-State too. He just gets the ball and runs. He doesn't hesitate. He finds the hole, just goes for it. He's a big, strong dude. So no surprise there, but hit it on the head, Sean. Yeah, and for me, I mean, giving the guy credit for not only taking one back to the house, but he was also the guy that downed the punt on the one, right. um, making lots of plays in, in all aspects of special teams. So it's just an all-around good performance for him. Special teams, the obvious blaring issue is uh, Butker missing another extra point this week, yep. <laughs> which is just becoming almost expected and incredibly infuriating. Um, because he makes field goals from the exact same distance without a problem. So yeah. that's my biggest takeaway on special teams outside of just, again, a solid week for him. Before we move on from that, just quickly on Butker, I'm glad you brought it up. I almost forgot. But he's missed five extra points this year. 
that's a lot of extra points to miss. And we're in, in the, when you're this point in the season, it's a lot of extra points anyway, but there's definitely at this point in the season, especially when you've only missed one field goal all year. We, we kind of talked about this a couple of podcasts ago where it's like, well, maybe it's the holder, you know, getting used to the new holder. Maybe it's just, you know, something like, but clearly something is not clicking with him when it's only one point that he's kicking for uh, just real quick. And if the answers haven't got a clue, that's perfectly fine. But what do you, what is your best guess on what is going on with Harrison Butker right now? That, it seems, it almost seems mental, but I, I've heard a lot of different blame going around, whether it's the hold or the, whether it's in Butker or whatever it is. But yeah, it's definitely odd. Cause I think it's, I should have looked it up, but I think the field goal percentage is, or the extra point percentage is 92%, I believe is what it is. Cause I think it went from 99% to low nineties when they moved it back. So clearly he is not hitting at that rate or even close to it at this moment, but you, you want him to at least be league regular. Cause we even saw McManus miss an extra point, which McManus never misses anything, but clearly there are almost one out of 10 misses on the extra points, but it, it's a little bit more than that. Yeah, for me, I think uh, I'm still going to fall back on, I think there could still be something going on between uh, kicker and holder. That's kind of my belief. And outside of that, it's just he's, for whatever reason, got the yips. Um, but it's just it's just kind of – it's that phase of the game that I hate to see not go well because that's all he does. And it just – it drives me absolutely it, – it's always driven me insane when kickers can't do that um, effectively. I can't speak of being an NFL kicker, but, I mean, come on. It's just put the ball through the uprights. It's the easiest part of the one thing that you do during a game. It's, it's the short – like, unless you're, like, kicking a field goal from the three, it's the shortest distance you're kicking. It's the easiest part of your job. And you only do one thing in the game, and that's kick. So, yeah, I'm, I'm at a loss. I haven't got a clue. Um, hopefully he gets it together because I do like Butker. I think he's, you know, tremendous field goal kicker. Hopefully he gets the extra points figured out. Lot, lot of nice things, a lot of a couple of negative things to build on. One, it's interesting to see how it all plays out next week against a winless New York Jets team. Now, for those of you who don't remember, last time the Jets and the Chiefs met was in 2017 on December 3rd. The Chiefs lost the game 38 to 31. Uh, fun stats of that game. Adam pulled up here a minute ago and definitely ran away from it. Alex Smith had probably one of his better games as a chief in terms of yards and touchdowns. He went 19 out of 33 for 366 yards and four touchdowns. Um, did have a 79-yard touchdown pass uh, for the game. For a second, time, I'm giving myself trivia. Who was even the starting quarterback for the Jets that day? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked. It was Longtime veteran and uh, famed uh, commercial star Josh McCown, who had had an outstanding game in this game, went twenty six of thirty six, uh, one touch and no picks. Uh, so yeah, outdueling Alex Smith, kind of I guess in terms of the result, uh, not necessarily in terms of the numbers. Although I do want to – I should give him credit. Josh McCrown did also run for 19 yards and two touchdowns. So he did have two other touchdowns that were just on the ground. I don't get it, but it happens. So, yeah, last year Chiefs – or last year, in 2017 is last time the Chiefs came up 
against them. Tyreek Hill had a monster game in that game, had six catches for 185 and two touchdowns. Kelsey went four for 94 and two touchdowns. Very different-looking Jets team this year. Uh, not a veteran quarterback on the team. A young, inexperienced, inexperienced quarterback who, if he was seeing ghosts a year ago, he's seeing ghosts now. Looking ahead to this matchup with the Jets, I just want to get initial impressions of what you think of the Jets team, and uh, we'll go from there. But, uh, Sam, start with you. What is what is your impression of the Jets team and why they have struggled so much this year? I'll pretty much say it in two words, which is Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> uh, they, they are just a dumpster fire of whatever is going on, whether it be Adam Gase just not being a head coach in the NFL. Um, again, giving up on a guy that I think we're going to benefit very heavily from in Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> and they, they, they have just not – just not a cohesive team at all. And I think they are probably the the prime candidate for um, Trevor Lawrence. And it's, I think it's going to be a relatively similar situation to what we saw uh, in Arizona where they drafted Josh Rosen and then went right back and got um, Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray, uh, where I think Sam Darnold might be looking for a new job here pretty soon. Um, if they keep going at the rate they are. So just not, not a good team in general. Yeah. To your point about Sam Darnold, uh, 12 of 23 for 120 yards and two picks in their last matchup against the Bills when they lost 18-10. Jacob, what are your impressions of this uh, Jets unit? Uh, I'm going to shock everybody here and say uh, they're awful and they've traded away everyone (laughs) on their team. But uh, I was a little distracted there and I was looking up because – had me thinking about that 2017 year was when they also played the Giants in that same year. And they, so they lost both games at Giants stadium that year. And I'm going and back looking now, I'm pretty sure the chiefs have still never won against the Giants at Giants stadium. I was trying to see if that was true. The Jets. Now this is a home game, so this doesn't matter at all, but that's just how, you know, my brain works is to completely derail everything, especially since there's not much to talk about in this game. The only thing you're really looking at if you're a chiefs fan for this game is, you know, just how many how many, and this is, of course, arrogant, how many points will they win by? And right now what Vegas is saying is they're spotting the Chiefs 20 and a half points. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is not college football. This is the NFL. This is not, you know, Oklahoma playing Kansas University. It's crazy. And it said, too, it was in the top 10 all-time of point spread since 1976. Oh. Blows my mind. So a question I have to you guys, and I'm sorry that I always do this and have a question. Would you take that point spread? Oh, oh, don't ever apologize for questions. That's a great question. Um, I think you almost have to. Yeah. (laughs) I I would just for pure chief fandom and just wanting to see if that actually happens. Um, Again, I don't gamble, so that's probably why. But I, I take the points. there be a part of me that'd be, yeah, I, you have to, you have to. With what we've seen against a, a Denver team that does, while Denver's hurting and they aren't great, they do have some pieces that look solid here and there. And you saw what a Chiefs team that didn't convert on third down and didn't have any one major standout offensive talent due to that team. What are you going to do to a Jets team that's just devoid of talent? Um, you know, they're, their leading receiver was um, Denzel Mims, which who cares? Who cares? 
He was my secret uh, pick of the draft this year. I kept telling Packers fans, I was like, okay, I know you didn't get your guy, but this Denzel Mims from Baylor, listen, I watched him tear apart K-State for a couple years now. He's he's a lot like CeeDee Lamb, who everyone wanted in the first round. Right. And, and Denzel Mims may be a really good player on a team that doesn't have the name Jets in it someday. But right now he's on the Jets, and he doesn't have anybody to throw him the ball. Um, it's – it is an interesting – now, I will say they did, you know, hold Buffalo to 18 points. Um, that's not nothing. Um, they, they did play a, a, tough, a tough Buffalo team who was coming into that game needing a win after dropping their last two. You don't want to drop to 4-3 and three, because that really puts you kind of behind the eight ball after the, the 4-0 and start. And they did hold them to 18 points. Josh Allen did not have a touchdown pass in that game. And Josh Allen was the leading rusher, whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing. They did hold the rushing game. They did make Josh Allen beat them uh, on the ground versus the running backs. So maybe there's something there with the Jets um, that you have to look out on defense. I don't think there is, but it's just something to keep in mind in the back of our heads. Like they did, they did play a, a good Buffalo team tough um, in this one. Um, more fun facts for y'all just – because uh, there's really not a whole lot else that we would talk about with this game with the Jets because they're not very good. But the Jets and Chiefs have uh, are 19, 19, and 1 all time against each other. So literally as tied as you can get it when the one uh, game that would have been the split and the decider who has the lead in the series is a tie. So interesting, but who knows how this game – this game's going to be a blowout, I'll say it. Um, yeah, so for me, just wrapping up points. I mean, I can't – after watching last week with uh, with us with the Bills, I don't take the fact that the Bills didn't score too many points too seriously because I think more than anything that might be – and people starting to figure out Josh Allen a little bit. Maybe he's not as solid as everyone thought. Granted, the guy still had over 300 yards passing, though he didn't have a touchdown, so he still had a good game. I just don't think he is as – elite as I think people were making him out to be at the beginning of the year. The other big point, I, I just want to know how many rushing yards is Le'Veon Bell going to have? Oh, my uh, God. Is he going to come in and just decide that, hey, <laughs> this is what you guys are missing out on when you don't play me and potentially just have a monster game um, just kind of coming out and showing out what, what he's capable of for us? Yeah, I want to respond to a couple things Sam said. I think what Sam is saying is that Josh Allen might be the Dan Sorensen of offense. <laughs> Which that sucks because I waited and traded Travis Kelsey for him in my other <laughs> league to get a good quarterback because I didn't have one. Hey, you're going to get some big plays. Uh, other factors that I'm looking at – well, first off, this is, I know, something that people were gripping, you know, the edge of their seats trying to wait on for me for was, yeah, the Chiefs did never actually beat the Giants at Giants Stadium. But, again, this is the Jets, so it's a different story. But – I think some of the things you're looking at when you're thinking about playing a bad team is you're looking for a letdown and you're looking for motivation from the other team. I think it's the flip. This team hasn't fired their head coach yet. A lot of times you'll see, you know, after the firing of a head coach, teams get up. You look at something like when Romeo Cornell came in for the Chiefs and they started to play up a little bit more for him. Another one would be, you know, the backup quarterback is getting his chance. We know Sam Darnold's going to be the guy this week. Uh, and then one more, which you guys are saying, and this is the flip side of, again, the guy that's motivated this week plays for the Chiefs. Le'Veon Bell is going to be a motivated man this week. So it'll be interesting to see just 
if maybe even he goes up to Andy Reid and says, let me keep playing. Let me keep playing. Keep me in. Yeah. I mean, backup quarterback, if they do want to put him in, is Joe Flacco. So. Oh. <laughs> I mean, the only, the only notable piece on the Jets I will forever be just amazed by is Frank Gore. Um, oh. The ageless wonder that is the guy that's been on my fantasy team for like 10 years and still somehow manages to score at least five points a game. Uh, but he just – I mean, that guy, I can't speak highly enough of him. Again, I can't – I'm not an NFL player in any sense, but a guy that just keeps going. Like, I feel like 10 years from now we're going to be like, who's Frank Gore playing for this year? Who's he Who's he going to come in for when somebody gets hurt and he's still just putting around, just doing his thing? So, Literally the million-dollar man, his body has been created of something other than human flesh – and he, he, he did average five and a half in that game, rushing for 60 yards uh, on 11 carries. So, to your point, he's still just trucking along at an, a really outstanding pace for when you consider the wear and tear that man has put on his body. Sean, what, you're, what, you're, trying to, what you're trying to say is Frank Gore wouldn't pull his hamstring at a church softball, slow-pitch softball game? No. Definitely wouldn't pull his hamstring in a church league softball game, especially not when he was 16. So <laughs> I think he, he – whatever, whatever things I don't have uh, to just do basic human functions, uh, he has to do superhero actions in the NFL. He's amazing. Um, so the fun part, um, just real quick before we get final predictions – Going into a game like this, obviously there's the, the point spread that we were not aware of. Thank you, Jacob, for that. That's awesome. Um, but what do we want to see out of the Chiefs team? Um, are there any, like, maybe smaller things you'll be looking for in a game that we're anticipating being a blowout? Yeah, so for me, this game is, again, it, I just want to see a similar outcome to what we had this week where we can come in and say that was another complete performance. Um, I don't necessarily care to have just ungodly numbers, to be honest. Um, but I want to I want to see every position playing to the extent that we are a better team. Um, I expect I, I do expect to see a heavier dose of Le'Veon Bell just to continue to get him played in. Um, and and this is it's sad to say, but this is almost like a developmental game where I feel like you might see some other players coming into play uh, to get some experience and and maybe a little more dose of, of Chad Henney to, to up that quarterback um, discussion a little bit. But but I just, for me, this game is let's see a complete game um, and just do what you're supposed to do to a team like the Jets. Yeah, uh, Sam, you, you hit it. It's you, you shouldn't expect perfect. And I'm going to say it this week, and I should have said it previous weeks. So I'm going to say it as many weeks as I can. Keep in mind, this is still not your college team playing you're not going to see an absolute three-phase domination like Sam mentioned. Of you know, you're not going to see glorious stats like you want, but you do hope to see you know just solid at least in every phase of the ball. But right, right with you on that, Sam. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm with you. I want to see specifically younger guys continue to develop. I'd like to see you know more Willie Gay Jr. Um, I want to see. Maybe this isn't the week for it, but, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, let's see, does he take lessons from Le'Veon on being patient, you know, game by game? Do we see improvements on that? Um, not a young guy, but I do want to see more Le'Veon, to your point, Sam. I'd like to see, you know, how does he continue to integrate into the offense? And then uh, the offensive line. Uh, I want to see the, the younger guys uh, specifically in, in pass blocking. 
you know, the Kilgores, the, the Allegretti's, Remmer, you know, Remmer, not necessarily a young guy, but like, let's, let's see those guys continue to develop together, continue to work together. And how do they all, can, do they progress to a point where you'd feel comfortable with that offensive line going forward if you had to have it? Last thing before we get out of here, let's go ahead and get final scores. Uh, I will go ahead and go first. I think I'm, I'm taking the points for sure, but uh, I think this game's going to be exactly what we think it is. I, I think they'll put another 40 spot on the Jets. Um, I think that the Jets might sneak a touchdown in there just because it's hard to keep an NFL team out of the end zone for an entire game. So I'm going to say 40 to 10. Uh, for me, I'm going to go, um, let's do 37 to 10, uh, expecting another miss, field, miss PAT by Bucker. <laughs> so we're not going to get the full 38 from a field goal. But uh, I think we will see a heavier dose of run this week um, and just continue playing off that. But for me, it's 37 to 10. I was – when Sean said his, I was like, oh, no. I, I initially was going to say 42 to 10, but you know what, Sam, you made me think too. I was like, you know, they'll have a field goal in there too and a missed extra point. So I'm going to go 44 to 10. <laughs> That's crazy that we all said 10. Cause I think we all feel a fluky touchdown. And then, you know, at some point them getting good yeah. field goals and kicking the field goal. There'll, there'll be somebody who knows that it's a, it's a blowout comment and they're going to try to make too big of a play and it's going to leave someone open deep and Darnold will get one wide open receiver. Uh, a touchdown and then that guy will get chewed out and then they'll go back to just stomping on him so but uh, that's going to do it for us here tonight we really appreciate everybody listening to no place like Mahomes. good luck to the chiefs this coming sunday and we'll see you guys again next week